Hello. Hello, how are you? I am well. How are you, Mama? Fine, fine. Excellent. Excellent. So, let's dig in, shall we? Um, today we're going to talk about immigration as it pertains to Miami and what happened, your experience of it. I have a little bit to share on that as well, having grown up in, um, having been born in 1965 and, yes. and growing up um, in Miami um, up until middle school, so around the age of 12 before I left for Tampa. But Florida, I guess, you know, is emblematic of, of much of what we're going to be discussing. So um, you had mentioned in a previous episode when I had wanted to discuss the different waves of Cuban exiles coming to Miami. And there were three or four, depending on who you talk to. Um, the initial one that featured upper middle class, people of lighter skin, and then subsequent ones um, culminating, I guess, in what is popularly known as the Mario Boatlift. And then you said, but wait, Miami had been under invasion in other ways as well. Can you talk to me about that or remind our listeners? Well, yes, Miami <clears throat> has been uh, survived all those inv invasions of thousands and thousands. The first Cuban wave was 59, 60, mm -hmm. mostly professionals, well-educated people. Mm -hmm. Many didn't speak any English, so they had to take menial jobs, etc. even doctors were uh, elevator, running elevators in hotels and picking strawberries or whatever, tomatoes. Mm -hmm. So until they were able to work on their degrees and all that. Then in uh, 60, okay. Then in 72, after the uh, earthquake in Nicaragua, there was a big earthquake. So a lot of people lost their houses and everything. And uh, they started coming to the States. Uh, mind you, I'm telling you because Dr. Aguirre, my boss, the owner of the newspaper, they started that newspaper in 53. Now, he, oh, he, was, he was Nicaraguan, Nicaraguan, yes. Nicaraguense. Yeah. All right, so he started the paper. Hmm? Did, he, did he start the paper in Nicaragua or in Miami? No, 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 in the United States. He had worked in a newspaper in Panama. That's where he go. He's a lawyer. He was a lawyer by training. Right. He, start, he worked in a newspaper in um, Panama mm -hmm. while he was in exile. So then, but the thing is, at the time, there was already a market for a Spanish newspaper in Miami. Right. There were many uh, well-educated people here from all, all places. From There were Colombians. You can look up the statistics, how many Colombians, how many Puerto Ricans, how many Brazilians were already living here. In um, it, at, at what so date? There was a market it, for that. Is this, is this the early 50s, you're saying? 1953. That's when the... 1953. Founded, right. 1953. Also, oh. they figured being in an where it was, they could send the paper, which they did to Puerto Rico, to different uh, parts of the United States, because we were right where there was a big international airport. But what 
made the paper thrive, actually, was that first wave of Cuban refugees in the 59th and 60s. And the newspaper became the voice of the Cuban exiles. Really? Was that something that, um, that was desirable from the standpoint of sales? And subscribership yes, for the papers. Yes, of course. Although at the beginning in '59, mm -hmm. I remember seeing photos. Camilo Cienfuegos visited the paper. Some other revolutionaries that oh really yeah passing through Miami, they went to see the paper. Blah blah. But then the man started showing his true colors, and then who, who is who is the who is the I I know who the man the is. Man. So who is the what man is El this? Caballo, Fidel Castro. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Okay. okay. So the more more people started coming. Mm -hmm. And then you had the uh Pedro Pan kids. Who are the Pedro Pan kids to our listeners who don't know? Peter Pan, by the way, that's what it means in English. Yeah, that's that was the name of the operation because when Fidel got there, he they started to uh, be rumors that he was taking the uh, it's, it's legally it's called pater potestas, the your right over your children from their parents, and oh. in a way they started sending uh, kids uh, pioneritos, forming like these little youth groups, uh -huh. and uh, I don't know whose idea it was. Uh, this lady who was the niece of uh, President Grau very Catholic woman, etc. She, she was in jail for like five or six years because she was one of the organizers. The thing is, they started a movement. They went to the American consulate and apparently the consulate says, well, if some somebody wants to sponsor them and then the Catholic Church in Miami said they would sponsor the kids. All right. So they gave them visas or mm -hmm. visas, whatever, at the consulate, and they came in the thousands, unaccompanied minors. Unaccompanied minors, but the brought here, brought here under the auspices of the United States government or the Catholic Church, the Catholic who said Church, that they the the, okay. the uh, Miami diocese, Father Walsh. Yeah. And now, did did uh, did the kids have to be Catholic? Were they were, no, were churches whatever, still? Whatever they just sent okay. them. They were kids younger, between uh, 16, 17, the oldest, and the youngest ones might have been eight or nine, as long as their parents wanted them out. The idea right. was, uh, and then the, the government helped then because the church couldn't do that all by themselves. Which, had, which government? The United, the United States, States government? government. They had like this uh, Camp Matacumbe in Homestead, which mm -hmm. was, uh, there were homes there, houses. Mm -hmm. And in houses, house, they, they, had a they weren't tents. They weren't tents and cages like the ones no, no, favored no, houses, by our government houses right now. Like, like uh, okay. houses. And then they had, Couples. I remember seeing the ads in the paper for married couples who wanted to be house parents. And, oh. and each house had, I don't know, 15, 20 kids and they had house parents temporarily okay. while they found them homes, foster homes all over the, the country. And this, as I understand it, and I've, I've come across Cuban Cowboys fans that were the children of Pedro Pans yeah. or Pedro Pans themselves. When the when the Cuban Cowboys played in Washington, D.C. several 
actual Pedro Pans, you know, uh, showed up and they were in like places like Kansas and Arkansas, if I re- if I recall correctly. So this was this was a nationwide coordinated effort yes, yes. spearheaded by the Catholic yes. Church to place unaccompanied Cuban minors in homes across the United States and was the hope that their parents their 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 biological parents would get out or get out what? yes that the the whole idea was until they mm-hmm. were put in those homes and until their parents were able to get out but for example if you were a doctor mm-hmm. you couldn't get out of cuba no of course so, not because that was know, part I of know, like the brain this brain girl i won't say names i won't say names i know her well she's a very grown-up woman now she was uh-huh. sent to illinois Nice. And her parents, nice. her, her father was a physician and uh, he, he never got out until after, oh, many, many years later, she was an old woman. So this family raised her, yeah. her parents. Armando Codina, who's a very successful businessman in Miami, he was mm-hmm. practically raised by the, that family because some parents Just, were not able to okay. come, others. I know they didn't want to come because they tried to hold their properties. They said, if we leave, the government will take everything. Let's hold it. This won't last. You know, the famous idea that the Castro government would fall because the United States would plan an invasion. And then, yes, we know what yeah. happened. Well, yeah, we, we, we didn't really plan an invasion, but we certainly hoped that the invasion that was coordinated um, very in a very hodgepodge manner by the CIA, exactly. um, um, you know, and La Brigada, etc. You know, and then of course the ultimate betrayal. The reason why most Cubans and Cubans Americans vote Republican when Kennedy refused to send in air support yeah. during the Bay of Pigs invasion. That was it. Yeah. From then on, every Cuban voted Republican no matter yes. what, just because yes. Kennedy totally dicked them yeah. over. So. Um, um, so, you know, how long did this Peter Pan program last? How long did it last? Yeah. Oh, until they were grown-ups and making their own living. Or so so of upwards, them, of, parents, upwards of what, 15 years came, or something? Their parents came, mm-hmm. some of them, their parents came. Others, mm-hmm. uh, some relatives like uncles or something were able to mm-hmm. come and then they took them over. Okay. Some family mm-hmm. members that came out took them over. Yeah. were raised by these families whom they consider you, their 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 parents do you know any any um other off the top of your head do you know any other notable peter pan folks well i can tell you something none of them ended up in any criminal activities anything they <laughs> all worked hard they all are decent law-abiding people i went to one of the reunions while Monsignor Walsh was alive, they like every two years they got together in Miami, and you could see them all. And and my aunt Alicia, uh, the father Walsh had a home in Miami for the kids. Yeah. It used to be an old motel. Alicia was an assistant secretary to Father Walsh for many years until she retired. She worked for the church and for Father Walsh. That's why I went to one of these dinners with her. And uh, the kids call her grandma. Wow. Well, did you <laughs> did you know that uh, 
um, I, I believe he won a, a, a Nobel Prize, Carlos um, Iyer, um, a Cuban writer, also Willy Chirino. Oh, yeah, yeah, was a he Peter was, a, he was yeah. A, a, a Peter Pan, a child, yeah, hello. Mom, do you think, <laughs> why hasn't something like this been offered up as a potential solution for the country's current state of, um, I don't want to say illegal immigration, but just like immigration? Well, right now, what? right now, there's 3,200 unaccompanied kids mm -hmm. in the, in Texas, just came, uh, yeah. Uh, there, I I saw them yesterday on TV. Most of them are teenagers. Yeah. I know, right. and uh, they're thinking of building shelters for them and things like that. Right. It takes probably takes a lot of coordination, a lot of coordination, mm -hmm. and of course there were so many Cuban exiles in Miami that I that yeah. pressured the church or or Monsignor or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that was 1962, 63, I think. Right. Let's and right. 1972. Right. Hundreds of Nicaraguans came over. I was going to ask you. So when the Nicaraguans show up after the volcano, right? Or earthquake, excuse me. What was it? Volcano, earthquake, I don't know. Whatever the natural disaster. An was, earthquake. Right? These Nic uh -huh. th these Nicaraguans show up. Your Nicaraguan boss. Yes the owner and the publisher of the Spanish language daily that had been doing very well because of the early influx of those middle-class, upper-middle-class Cubans. How, what was the perception, not necessarily the newspapers, what, how did the Cubans react to the Nicaragua? Oh, fine, fine. Because, because wait a minute, the second part, yeah. right after the earthquake, I think a year later or two years later, the Sandinista government took over, which was openly a communist, not, not, not a socialist, a communist government. So uh -huh. more Nicaraguans came. To escape the Sandinistas. the Sandinistas. At the time, before 1990, they were given something that, that was called the EVD. Then in 1990, they mm -hmm. came up with the TPS, which is temporary protection status. They give you a permit to work, etc., which you renew, I think, every two years. With the TPS, then there was the um, Haiti earthquakes, the hurricanes in Honduras and El Salvador. So Salvadorans, Haitians, Nicaraguans, and Honduras in the thousands in Miami right. with the TPS, which they still have, they still have those special visas, right? It's like a special visa, yeah. Wasn't um, wasn't that extended to Venezuelans right, right now? now they because of what's going to on? The Maduro, yes. So a, a bunch of Venezuelans were celebrating in, in Miami last night because now they mm -hmm. say, now we are here, now we can work you know, without mm -hmm. having to work uh, under the table. But this yeah. TPS, the Salvadorian, Haiti, Nicaragua, Honduras, and by the way, Sudan, mm -hmm. I don't know, how Sudan got in there and in October mm -hmm. of this year. So they might extend it because those Salvadorans, Nicaraguans are, are not going to go back. Well, are, no. Can there's you a lot of them? poverty. There's not work from them there. Mom, listen, here's the thing. What do you think of this? This, I don't even want to call it an argument, but a line of thinking that America, the United States, 
of America, the U- the USA. We, we really can't say America correctly anymore because, you know, you have South America, you have Latin America. These are the Americas. But that the United States spent upwards of anywhere from, I don't know, 30, at least 30 years of concentrated efforts to destabilize governments and potential threats to what they considered to be democracies, right? Like the Sandinistas, for yeah. example, um, like uh, uh, Trump's and um, uh, backing of the alternative president of Venezuela. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we have this history and it's a bloody I history. Know. And we've got military bases in Georgia where we have trained so many what we would rightly call right wing paramilitary, you know, death squads. We've trained them here. We've offered unlimited, untold millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to support and to prop up people that we thought would be pro United States. So what do you think of the line of thinking that says the United States is reaping what it has sown right now in regards to immigration from the Southern Americas and the Central well, Americas? Not, not that specifically, because, you know, we supported uh, some tyrants also in South America. Okay? Yeah, man. No, we, su- we support tyrants. We support tyrants all, okay, all over the world. Okay, but listen to this. We've listen got- to this. Uh-huh. You don't Thanks. find any Costa Rican trying to come here. Mm-hmm. No, Costa Rica's got it going on, you know, not just in terms of ecotourism. Oh, before but that, long honestly, before ecotourism, yeah. I, I was in Costa Rica uh-huh. in 1958. They didn't have a... Yeah, and, and what's your argument? What's they your, didn't have what, an army. What, what they didn't think? have an army. They had police, just that. Okay. There was no crime in Costa Rica. Now there uh-huh. is crime in Costa Rica. Right, who's committing the crime in Costa Rica? coming from El Salvador. In Costa uh-huh. Rica, when I was there in 1958, yeah. You could leave your house, your doors open. Yeah, but mom, okay, no, what I'm getting at is in these gangs that you just mentioned. Because they had, I believe, honest governments, honest governments. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, but no, no, they have honest governments. Now they're speaking, Biden is talking, yes, the possible a solution that's always been there, help Guatemala, get help El Salvador with their poverty, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah but, but it's poverty that, that, that we're partially The government steal the money. Well, no, I get oh, that, Mom. I get that now. But I'm saying well, that, that, that corruption. The corruption that, in those countries right, that, is awful. Yeah, but I get it. And I get people, it. But I'm saying that, that, that you... Right. I know that, mom. But what I'm saying is that the United States bears X amount of responsibility in that very corruption, in that very instability. And as far as the gangs go, like Mara Salvatrucha. La Mara was formed, um, listen, for, the Mara began into the United States and they went back. Okay. Yes. Yes, my dear. And because of our jagged, fractured immigration That's- policy, we fueled the development of those gangs. They trained on our soil, if you will, in our cities and then in our prisons. So when we deported these folks back, they went back and they trained their own and then they came back here. It is a cycle and it's and it's seemingly unyielding 
unyielding now. So even there, mom, even there, I would argue, and a lot of people would back me on this, that the United States is at least partially responsible yes, for that yes, as well. Yes, yes, you know? yes. I totally agree with you. Yes. So what's it, what's it going to take? Is it going to take the threat of, are at of, stake? I don't know. Huh? Like, for example, yeah. these 3,200 kids that we have right there on a company, I hope right, many right, of right. them will have cousins or uncles or something that they can, you know, give them over to them. Because, like, for example, uh, uh, I work with an immigration lawyer here in, in Abadis, you know. Right. And we had cases, if you come in with a visa, a tourist visa from any of these countries, even yeah. from Mexico, and you overstay your visa, you can always adjust your status here without going back to your country because you came in right. legally. You overstayed your visa. 10, 15 years later, you have kids here and everything you want to make your thing legal. Uh, and you go through a process and you don't have to go back. But if you walked in, you cross then you can't fix it, no matter even if you marry an American. You have to go back right. to your country. Yeah, it's nuts. You can come back. So it's a huge problem. It's a huge, huge problem. Yeah. We need to, to write and to get together in a humane but workable immigration reform. Well, we for the past one, two, three, it, since the days of the second Bush, there has been poli there have been policy I know, they never, that, that were considered. The Congress doesn't get together. They don't. I remember before Bush tried, he, and there was this uh, project by, between McCain and Kennedy. Uh, yeah, and it no, was. Yeah. And Kennedy, yeah, well, no, that's what that's what I'm talking about. Kennedy and McCain, yeah, it, it was okay, but there it has sat buried, and it's such a political I hot know. potato. But you know, at, at the heart of it, you know, along with American culpability or American foreign policy and and history of of interference, if you will, and I don't even want to call it imperialism, it's just straight up interference, destabilization, highly illegal. Um, violating human rights, et cetera, arming death, death squads, what have you, facilitating all of that is the is that there's there's there are other things at work. There's the threat um, that, you know, media will portray of these immigrants, that these are bad, as as Trump famously or infamously said, bad hombres, yeah. um, you know, that that everybody coming across the border is either a drug dealer, a pedophile or is infected with a variety of covid viruses, um, you know, so well, now, it's we just COVID, now, now we have the covid now yeah, we have covid. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just the latest a latest example of the cyclical nativism, you know, now, what is it now? America first is what oh, it's what yes. it has been yes. repackaged as, but it goes way back when the Italians yes. first got here, everybody thought that they were subhuman. Uh, then when the Irish got here, the Italians breathed a sigh of relief because now there was somebody even worse. Oh, these drunks, the et cetera. Poles. And then every, and then the Poles and then the Jews, et cetera. So, so the Cubans though, as far as Latin American groups go, um, 
you know, in terms of levels of educational attainment, in terms of of wealth, medium income, et cetera, because of the Cuban, I don't know, successes in, uh, you know, to, 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 you know, just give it a loose term like that. The Cubans um, are not considered a minority group anymore by funding agencies or grant giving organizations like the Ford Foundation um, because, hey, look, they're, they're doing great, um, you know, and, and the Cubans have also had special immigration status. Can you talk about that? Used to have it. It was just repealed that if a Cuban made it to shore or was able to walk yes. across the border. Well, I have go. a cousin that came through, mm-hmm. through Alicita. You didn't see her, but I think yeah. uh, Monique met her with me in Miami. He left Cuba, yeah. Cuba to Ecuador, from Ecuador to Mexico, and then in Mexico, she went to, uh, I think it's uh, Brownsville. What's that one uh, across? Brownsville. She walked into the the highway patrol or whatever is there, the, the, uh, not the highway patrol, the border patrol, and said, I'm Cuban, I want asylum. And they gave it to her right then and there. She had family in Miami. She had family in Miami who paid $8,000 to get her out through that convoluted. Oh. oh, yeah. So that's another thing. A lot of okay. people made money out of that, but they st- but now uh, Obama oh, ended sure. that. But if you... Obama ended that. That was yeah. part of the concessions um, in order to get his other proposals approved, which is which have since been rescinded in this uh, dansong, you know, or two-step um, of American and, and, and Cuban polemic, uh, the politics. So it's it's just nuts. It's a madhouse. It, I'm glad you're here. able to make it I'm to gl- shore, they give you a visa, and right. one year and one day after mm-hmm. you were here, you mm-hmm. could apply for a green card. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. That it's crazy. And it's that, so... And the rest of the immigrants couldn't do it. It's so unfair. And our policy, generally, the darker your skin, the harder it is for you to get into the country. That is generally how it works, unless unless you are able to throw a baseball at the rate of about 100 miles per hour. Then you can do whatever the hell you want. Or you can unless do you're, you're a scientist, like all the Indians, the doctors and all that, they're coming with their visas, their work visas. Yeah. Okay, but uh, the... Right. Humble people, uneducated, or with, I've seen some of them that cannot even read Spanish. We've had cases they don't even read Spanish. And this is this is um, um, and you need to you need to you need to tell the listeners that you do translation work on behalf of the courts in Florida. All right, so okay, so that's interpretation is different than translation. Translation is written, okay, interpretation is spoken. <laughs> okay, and, and, and yes, you do of both. Of course, I do both. Right? I... My mom, 89, you're still driving. You're in better shape than a lot of your relatives. In fact, you've honestly outlived pretty much all of your, fr- all of your friends. And I, I, and, and, and I'm no, no, mama, I'm not I making know. light. I'm not oh, making every light. Every year, my saying... phone book, I have to scratch. It's awful. Oh, mom. It is awful. I know. I know. I know. But I only mention that because you're you're really doing great. 
you know, you're really doing great for and your you age know, and otherwise. The courts, and the the courts are not open. The thing is done uh, no. in Zoom and this and that. So they yeah. call me on the phone. The lawyer is on one phone. I'm there. And then the uh, the uh, the inmate or whoever is out on bond from mm -hmm. his home, where I do translating for them, if they are presented with a plea agreement, I read them the plea in Spanish so that they know what they're saying yes to and everything. And now they call me okay. on the phone so I can work in my house coat and my slippers. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, mom, um, I celebrate you. I continue to celebrate you. So many of our listeners do. It is now time for our uh, who would you make a baby with segment? And I thought about Please, this long because we're running out of right. candidates, you know. Okay, no, mom, we will never run out of candidates. You are a very fertile, intellectually, <laughs> biologically woman. We're going to cast you again as 27 year old Rita, ready to go, ready to breed. So, who would you make a baby with? So, today's choice, um, this episode's choice, features um, right wing paramilitary strongmen um i will call them old school or more modern historically left-wing paramilitary and in, in the case of one of them actually full-on military because he had been a paratrooper um so mike basically i'm going to give you a choice within a choice so do you want to choose between a young and very virile augusto pinochet strongman of chile or General Francisco Franco, fascist strongman of Spain, or you want to choose between those guys. It's a little bit more antiguo, if you will, or olden, or Sandinista super stud, Daniel Ortega, or Cesar Chavez. No, so do you want to go strictly Latin American? <laughs> between okay, so, so wait, wait, you're going to go Franco, between yes, I and Franco? Would... Okay, I would choose so Pinochet. who would you pick? Yeah, in the really? sense that he what? had, I think at least I would be able to talk to him, talk with him. Yes, he had, what do you I'm mean? sure he was a vet, better educated man than Franco. Culturally, yes, really? yes. He was a lawyer. He had a, yeah, I don't really? think that Franco, Franco was a military man from the barracks. He, went up. I don't think mm -hmm. his uh, schooling was, uh, of course, his family, you know, after he became this strong man and everything, his daughter, he only had a daughter and she was mm -hmm. a real lady. He the best education, right. his grandchildren, the best education of available course. in the world, etc. All right. Uh, I All right. think so, I could so have had saying... uh, an intellectual rapport with Frank. But now, wait, mom, you're just making a baby. You're just no, no, having no. sex I, you, for the you, sake you of You just can't fun. go and have sex for having sex. There has to be some, okay? <laughs> All right, but now, <laughs> excuse me, this coming from the woman that had sex with Reagan and his monkey. No, no, the, the monkey, room, okay, I, I, I told you I would, I would tie the monkey up, okay? Tie the monkey down. All right, mama. Well, listen. All right. So Augusto Pinochet it is. By the way, I want you to know in advance, 
that at the final episode of this first season of I Jorge, we're going to have a championship round where you will ask you you will be asked to pick among the people that you've already chosen oh, to make. Hey, a baby I already with. know who right. would anyway. <laughs> Oh, stop, mom. Stop. We'll see. You never know who I'm going to come up with. Listen, mommy, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Again and as ever. Okay, we're mama. able to do I love this you very much. as long as we can. And you, you never know when I'll be called <laughs> away. Oh, mom, I'm sure. We can probably do it. You know, we can probably set up some sort of ah, seance that'd situation. That'd be interesting. Um, that that would be interesting. All right, Mom. Bueno, mira, I love you so much. And I'll okay. talk to you soon. I'll talk to you okay. tomorrow because I call you. Love you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Hasta mañana, Mami. Bye. Okay. Bye. Un tu cara. Bye. Hey, thank you for listening to Episode 6 of the Cuban Cowboys I Jorge Podcast. Next week for Episode 7, we'll be recording in person as Rita joins us in our San Francisco studio, <clears throat> my apartment. She'll be here visiting me and my kids for my son's 15th birthday, so stay tuned for some sort of argument about my diet, neatness, and or workout regimen. In the meantime, drop us a line, follow the Cuban Cowboys on Insta or Facebook, and tell a friend or two about the podcast. Thank you very, very much.